0: Nine years ago, right around this time of the year, I and some others were being confronted by God to think and to pray about starting a new church in Sterling, Massachusetts. And I remember one of the things that kept running through my mind and my heart, one of those things I think that God would just not let me get away from was, you know, if you're going to start a new church, it's really going to make a difference. You know, there's there's a lot of good churches around us. Now, there are some that we might think that they have a little bit of a loose grip on the scriptures. But there are many churches in our region that, though they may have some distinctives and different than us, they they have a high opinion and respect for the Word of God. They try to teach it and pursue it. They're encouraging people to walk with Christ and to share their faith. So there's some good churches around us. Before we launched out and beginning a new church and spending literally the hundreds and thousands of dollars, just this piece of property and the construction process together cost two and a half million dollars, even with all the volunteers that we use. Before you do something like that, you need to make sure that what you start is really going to make a difference. And there were many in those early days, not just myself, not just Christina and I, but others who were a part of that early launch of Hope Chapel who who felt this incredible burden that it can't just be churches ordinary. You know, we need to take seriously Jesus's promise to us that He has come, that He has given us life in life that we can have abundantly, that there really can be genuine transformation. There ought to be a sense where things aren't just typical, church as usual, but there ought to be just continuing indications of the fingerprints of God and what's happening, things that can't be described by man, what I might call the wow factor. How did that happen? And each year as we get to this time of year, as we start off in a new calendar year, it always causes me to reflect, and I, in particular I come back, and is that really happening at Hope Chapel? Is there really this sense of the incredible movement of God, clear evidence of the power of God? And there are many things that encourage me. We certainly have seen some tremendous miracles along the way. I think our building process and some of the financial things that went with it are, were clearly things that were of God. And I celebrate those, and I need to join with others, and writing that all down so we don't lose that evidence for prosperity. There's also been just tremendous kingdom giving. I'm struck by the fact that even as a fairly young church, not even a decade old yet, we are approaching, or maybe have already passed, the $350,000 mark in giving to missions. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And it certainly shows the, in, the, the, the marks of God. There's, there's been a real sense of, of, of some kingdom influence in our, in our region. We've been honored to have some small part in the revitalization of the Pleasant Street Baptist Church. And this little church that was 150 years old but down to five or six people is now a thriving congregation of 100, 125, 150 every week making a difference in the city. And we've gotten to be partners with that all the way around, all the way along. We've, we've worked with Lighthouse Mission. We've had some role with Cornerstone International down in Norwich, Connecticut. We've served as a healing place for several pastors who have come out of ministry and then gone back out into ministry. And it's been a place where they can come and, and kind of get encouraged and reborn if a little bit, a place for healing. We've seen many people baptized. We've seen the whole launch of this micro-seeds ministry and our relationship with Wanda. It's been a lot of neat things that have happened. But if you're anything like me, uh, you've you've had probably in your own personal journey, much like I have as I think about our corporate journey, there's just this gnawing sense that there's just more that God has for us than we're experiencing. And And I talk about that corporately, but I also think that's true personally. I mean, how many of you would say... I, boy, I'm really living the abundant life that Jesus promised me. I got it all. My cup overflows. I look at it, and, you know, it's more than half full, but it's not overflowing, at least in my experience. And corporately, I, I, you know, I, I just have this sense that there's, that God's not done with us yet. There, there are more mountains to move. And if we're not careful, we're going to get comfortable with, we're, we're going to even come to expect that the usual normal is that God doesn't move mountains, whether it be in our individual lives or in our life together as the people of God, known as Hope Chapel. And so I want to share a word with you today that addresses that issue of mountain-moving type faith. and suggests some things to you that I think will apply to your personal journey and will apply to us as a congregation, of things that we need to look at in terms of, of things that, that deplete that mountain-moving faith within us. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 17 with me. Matthew chapter 17. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, which I'll also be reading out of, you'll find our text today on page 830. Just a little context so you can see the connection. The first 13 verses of Matthew 17, Jesus has been to the mountaintop. It's the transfiguration. He and James and John and Peter make their way off the three J's and the P. Jesus, James, and John, and then Peter. They make their way off to the top of the mountain, and Jesus is transfigured before them. It's an incredible moment. And probably even more exciting to Jesus on the way down is that the disciples start to get part of it. Those three, Peter, James, and John, they finally understand that there's a connection between the promised coming of Elijah and John the Baptist. And they're starting to see that The messianic age is here and it's beginning to break in. God's doing all that he had promised in the past. And so Jesus' excitement is up a little bit. And then reality hits. Verse 14. When they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son, because he has seizures and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but but they couldn't heal him. Jesus replied, you unbelieving and rebellious generation. It's interesting to think or ask, who's he talking to there? Is it the crowd or is it the disciples? We'll deal with that in a minute. How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately. And they said, why couldn't we drive him out? How come we couldn't move the mountain like we used to? We're going to look at that in just a minute, too. Because of your little faith, he told him. For I assure assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And you'll notice that that's in brackets in our text. And that's because in in some of the the older manuscripts, this particular verse is not found. And so there's some question as to whether or not it belongs here in Matthew. But I feel comfortable reading it to you because in Luke's account of the very same experience, there is no doubt that that phrase belongs in the text. And it's something Jesus said in this experience. You look at this experience. and, And it says so much to me about why it is that you and I, in our personal walks, and corporately as a congregation. How we can go from being mountain moving faith kind of people to people who just kind of expect the ordinary and settle for the ordinary and don't really see the powerful hand of God moving through their midst anymore. I think it's telling that Jesus refers to the disciples, and I believe that's who he's speaking to, is you unbelieving and rebellious generation. That's a phrase that he's capturing out of the Old Testament, and it's, it's, it's really indicative of people who are who have God, but are living like there is no God. It says, you know, you, you, you believe in God, you say you believe in God, you're, you're even following me, and yet there's much that you're doing in your life that pragmatically looks like you have no faith in God at all. And the Old Testament people of God did that quite a bit, and here the disciples were doing the same. So what are some things that we should look for and that could move us back to being people who, are, who exercise a mountain-moving faith? And, and the word here, mountain, is used in a figurative sense. Not even God or Jesus ever changed the topography of the earth. Okay? Now, God flooded it, but we don't see any cases where God moved a mountain and said, well, you know, just move Mount Washington over there to a the different zip code. You know, God doesn't, didn't do that. This is indicative of, of, of the idea of overcoming the difficulties that we experience in fulfilling God's mission for our lives. And, and one of the things that I think we need to watch for is what I call commission leak, leak commission, C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N, commission link, leak leak. L-E-A-K. You know, uh, several years ago, I, I was reading a lot of leadership books, and one of the things that they would talk about is vision leaks. I don't know if you, you know, some of you were in the corporate world. You talk about, you know, we know what our vision is as a, as a corporation. This is what we really want to do. But somewhere along the lines, a lot of that vision kind of leaks out, and you just kind of stay the same over and over again. I think there's a way in which the disciples, I think there's a way in which we experience the same kind of leak of the commission To be a different kind of people that happens in our lives. If you just back up to Matthew chapter 10. Just just turn back just a couple of chapters. Let me just read a couple of verses from this for you. Starting with the first verse. Summoning his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And so he lists all the names there. Verse 5. And he sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. And and looks particularly at verse 8. He says, let's start with verse 7. As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who with skin diseases. Drive out demons. You have received free of God, charge. Give free of charge. Freely you have received. Freely give is another way to say the same thing. Now, now that's chapter 10. Now that may be two or three months. Maybe a year before chapter 17. What happened? I mean... Here's a guy, they're in a crowd, and a guy brings up to them his son who's demon-possessed. Now, if you go back to chapter 10, they had the authority to throw out demons, didn't they? Well, what happened? And, And if you piece it all together, here in chapter 10, they go out on this mission trip, okay? They set everything in the world aside, right? And they go out on this mission trip. Luke tells us that there's actually 70 of them that go out. Not just the 12, but there's 70 of them. They go out on this mission trip. And, and they've got this authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to speak and to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand. And when they come back, they are, they're walking on Clyde 9. They are so They said, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Even the demons did what we told them to do, you know. And Jesus' statement in Luke is, you know, I saw the stars falling out of hell. Words, you know, that, that Satan was losing the battle because of what was happening through the disciples, then you get to Matthew 17, and they're just hanging around, waiting for Jesus to get back. And it's just life. It's just life. It's, it, it's not a mission trip anymore. It's just life. And in walks, up walks the guy with the son, a child, what we can kind of piece together. He says, you know, he's in another context that, you know, it says that he's been like this since childhood. So, you know, maybe he's a teenager, maybe he's a young adult, but, but he's dangerous to himself. You know, he'll have one of these seizures and throw himself into the fire that they're cooking over, maybe inside of their own house. Or he's out in the yard and, and he, you know he's trying to draw water out of the well and he has a seizure and he falls into the well and if somebody's not there, he's going to drown. You know, it's, it's, it's not, he's walking in the street and he has a seizure and he might get run over. You know, there's all kinds of... And they bring this kid to, to the disciples and they say, heal him. And the disciples can't do it. It's because life has gotten in the way. Their commission is still valid, but it's leaked out. See, when you're on mission trip, you're ready for that kind of stuff, right? But when you're just doing life, you're not really ready for it. You know what? That can happen to us. It happens to me individually. I don't know if it happens to you, but it happens to me. There's so much stuff going on in life. You know, there's always a room that needs to be painted. You know, there's a grass that's got to be cut. There's, you know, there's, you know, for some of you, there's diapers that got to be changed. For some of you, there's a lot of diapers that have to be changed. You know, the, the, you know, you got parents to care for. You know, you got all kinds of stuff that just mount things on the plate. You know, it's tax season, right? You, you know, you got to work 80 hours a week, you know, for some people. And, it, and life just kind of happens. And then in step, these mountain moving opportunities... And we understand that all power has been, and authority has been given to us through Christ. And we're just not ready because we're not on mission trip at the moment. And there's just this mission leak. It happens to us as a church as well. You know, I can remember in the early first couple of years of Hope Chapel that the dominant question that we asked was, what's God what did God do this past Sunday? You know, what, what's God doing right now? And, and I got to tell you, it's, when we gather as leadership teams now, much more the question is, was the percussion too loud this week? You know, or did everybody show up who was supposed to work in children's ministry? You know, or were the bathrooms warm enough? You know, I, I, I'm being a little bit facetious, but those are the kinds of questions we struggle with. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but boy, the mission, the commission of God to go out and change the world just starts leaking out all over the place. We've got to watch commission leak. And so when God brings along questions for us to contemplate, like is it time for us to start a new church somewhere on the fringes of our region? Or is it time for us to start another worship service off campus somewhere? Is it time for us to launch a new ministry? Or maybe on a more personal level, it's time for us to intervene and help rescue a marriage or something along those lines where we're not always ready for those mountain-moving opportunities when they come. I've got to move fast. It's already 10 o'clock couple of other things part of the struggle for us is why we we kind of lose momentum in that mountain moving type of faith is that we get intimidated by the size of the mountain there's what i call commission intimidation when you read mark's version this listen to the description of this son's problems this was confronting the disciples they don't got jesus remember jesus is off in the mountaintop with james and john and peter and it's just them doing life, waiting for Jesus to come back. And in walks this guy. And this is a description of his problem. It says, I, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams at the mouth. And he grinds his teeth. And he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And then in verse 20, it says, So they brought him to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. He, he fell to the ground, and he rolled around, and he was foaming at the mouth. That would freak me out. Wouldn't it freak you out? I mean, so they're, you know, part of the issue is that they're confronted with this boy, and and he's really got some problems. You know, I mean, that's, that's scary stuff. And in some ways, they're intimidated by the challenge. How about you? How about us? You know, building a building's a big deal. It really is. But there's a lot of people in the world who build buildings, don't they? A lot bigger than this. Remember last night we were coming home. We kind of had like our staff holiday dinner out together and we were driving through Worcester with the snow coming down. I remember looking off to the left of of 290 and and looking at St. Vincent's Hospital and saying, that's a big building, you know, but big buildings get built. So yeah, it was a big challenge, especially with who we were and what size we were and how much it was going to cost and how many resources we had. I understand all of that, but it's nothing like Saying that our mission is to so transform our community that the crime rate and the divorce rate gets cut in half, because the kingdom of God's moving. Get intimidated by that? I don't even know where to begin. And perhaps in those moments, Jesus' assessment of his own disciples as an unbelieving generation applies to me as well, because I act, even though I have a knowledge of God and a faith in God, I act at times like there is no God who can move those kinds of mountains. Now, there's one last point. Not only can we experience commission link, and not only can we experience a sense of intimidation in the commission that God has given us to change the world, but there also can be just a fundamental commission orientation problem. I'm trying to just stay with that word commission, but anyway, so I'm just forcing my point in here. You know, what did Jesus say to the disciples? You have faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, there are other places Jesus uses that illustration of a mustard seed. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And, you know, that means it's a it's teeny, 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 teeny little seed. But when you plant it, it grows and it becomes just like a tree. And birds can come and land. And he said, that's how the kingdom of God is going to grow. It's a tiny little beginning. It's just me and the 12 of you. But it's going to change the world. That happened. That's not what he means here. He said, it doesn't matter the size of your faith doesn't matter the size of your faith. What matters is who you have faith in. And sometimes we lack mountain-moving faith in our personal lives, and in our lives as a congregation, because our faith isn't placed in the right thing. Do we have the resources to pull this off? I would say, and it, as part of the evaluation I had as I thought about this, what we've been struggling with as a leadership team over these last couple of years is, 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 is how much Do we really know about God? We've been wrestling with that issue of discipleship. You know, how is it that we guide people to live deeply in the Word and understand who God really is and what God's really done and how they can really walk with God? And we've been struggling with so much of the issue of how much do we know? That Somewhere along the line, we've lost contact with who do we really know? And all the pleas for life groups and sunny school classes and first Fridays and all those things are great. And I mean that sincerely. There's been virtually no outcry for corporate prayer of really getting in touch as a body with the one in whom our just a little bit of faith should be in. And so the orientation, the focus of our commission gets out of whack. Because instead of focusing on the power of God... We're focusing in on our own power and how much we know about the power of God. For the sake of time, let me just make an application this way. When you think about 2010, in your own journey, when you think about 2010, what mountains did your faith move? Do you want 2011 to be like that too? When we think corporately about 2010, we think about what mountains God did or didn't move through us as Hope Chapel. Do we really believe that's what God wants for 2011 and 2012 and 2013? I think in many ways, when Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith, he's really saying to the disciples, you've already become satisfied with mediocrity. And don't, don't be satisfied with spiritual mediocrity. Let's pray together. Ah, Father, I don't even know how to pray right now. The disciples were good people. They committed their lives to walk with you. They had walked away from everything. And yet, Father, you had so much more for them. The only thing that stood as as a barrier to it was the size of their faith in you. God, I know the people gathered in this room this morning. They're good people. They love you. They love others. They give generously. They serve. But, Father, I acknowledge that you're not done with me. I also confess I understand you're not done with us yet. And the only barrier is whether or not we'll cultivate our faith by getting to know you through prayer and fasting. God, make us hunger and thirst for righteousness. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.